Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, November 22nd, 2022, the 671st day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you'll be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, by all means, keep listening to the podcast on a variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends, all the links to platforms, to my social media, and of course, to the merch store can be found at linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So yesterday I discussed the Colorado shooting over the weekend at a gay bar named Club Q as a false flag. And when we're discussing false flags, it's important to always remember that Saying an event is a false flag does not mean the event didn't happen, and it does not mean that the victims or the people harmed by whatever event we're discussing were not really harmed and that that harm is not sad. All of those things can be true, and the event can still be a false flag. The false flag comes in the misattribution of responsibility for the event and then the political agenda that the narrative around the event is designed to support. You don't ever have to make the claim that the event didn't happen or that there weren't real victims to understand the event as a false flag. 
And it's crucial to make this distinction because these events actually are worth deconstructing. It's worth understanding not only the event, but what we're being told about the event. And that involves a willingness to be skeptical about all of the details of the event as they're reported. Because the sad situation we're in with the propaganda media in this country and around the world necessitates that skepticism. We cannot simply believe the news sometimes when the event is so important, the news must have gotten it right. Or when the event is so tragic, the news must have gotten it right. That's just not how it works. There is no point at which we should assume that the news has gotten anything about any story right. We have to be skeptical and we have to verify the details. I have written about this at length before, but the producers of fake news always attach a moral and emotional value to the news that they are propagating. And that emotional value, that moral value is always correlated with the underlying truth of the event. If the event is true and it's true how they tell us, then they don't need the moral and emotional stuff for people to believe it. So conversely, if you're hearing all of the moral and emotional stuff and there is a concerted effort to make sure to pin blame on certain people and then make the event completely unquestionable through a system of incentives for agreeing and punishment for dissension, that's a signal that you're not allowed to pick the story apart. You just have to accept it. Think back to the George Floyd incident. Major media outlets reported, CBS News reported, that George Floyd and Derek Chauvin had known one another and worked at the same nightclub, but no one was allowed to talk about it because that would change the story. That would mean that Derek Chauvin knew whose neck he was kneeling on. And then you would have to question what their personal relationship was. That would immediately take away the moral and emotional meaning, which is white cop committing heinous acts of violence against an unarmed black man. George Floyd was also a career criminal who had robbed a pregnant woman with a gun to her belly. That's not a conspiracy theory. I didn't make that up. That's part of the real story, but a part we simply weren't allowed to talk about. The stolen election. You can't say that. That's the big lie. It doesn't matter how much evidence there is. They say there's no evidence. These are all baseless claims. And they create a system of incentives and punishments for people who might dissent from the official story. If you say that the election was stolen, You're an election denier. You're telling the big lie. You don't care about our democracy. You're a threat to our democracy. You're a domestic terrorist. And then they write think pieces about how people who just go along and believe everything they're told by the news should punish and disavow their own friends and family members. You remember masking and lockdowns and school closures. If you didn't support all that, well, then you wanted to kill somebody's grandmother. You're certainly not allowed to argue with the January 6th narrative, 
even though it's been absolutely false from the beginning and every bit of evidence proves it false. You can watch police officers open the stanchions and wave people in. You can watch them open the doors of the Capitol. You can watch Nancy Pelosi's daughter's film crew filming, if not participating in, the breaking of windows. Nancy Pelosi invited her daughter to bring a film crew to the Capitol to film the events of January 6th. Nancy Pelosi also denied the National Guard, as did Muriel Bowser. Donald Trump offered it days in advance, which is why they were available on January 6th to come right in. They said police officers were killed. Brian Sicknick was bludgeoned to death with a fire extinguisher. But that wasn't true. It wasn't true when they said it. It wasn't true the next day when everybody knew the truth and Brian Sicknick was still alive. And it hasn't been true a single day since then. Brian Sicknick, according to the medical reports, died of a stroke. Three other officers, or maybe it was four, died over the next few months due to suicide because they were so traumatized by that day. And that is definitely what happened. The only deaths on January 6th were of Trump supporters at the hands of the Capitol Police. But that didn't stop Capitol Police officers like Michael Fanone testifying before the sham January 6th committee as Adam Schiff and Adam Kinzinger cried along to their tales of woe. They were turned into celebrities and got book deals. But you're not allowed to say any of that because if you do say it, then you are a threat to our democracy. You're a domestic terrorist. You're not allowed to tell the truth. And when you're really, really not allowed to tell the truth, that's when all the emotion and the morality come in. Incentives and punishments for telling the truth, for being skeptical about the official story, even as you can see that the official story is a lie. The Paul Pelosi incident from a few weeks ago, hammer time with Paul Pelosi. Every element of that story is questionable at best. Almost none of the original official story has survived. It didn't survive for 48 hours. Now the entire thing looks ridiculous. Parts of the FBI's own affidavit filed with the court have already been directly disproven. But that doesn't matter. You're still a jerk if you question it. That old man got hit with a hammer. Yes, yes, I'm sure he did. The Castro nudist, the drug dealer who lived in a flop house with BLM and LGBTQIAA plus plus QSP plus plus banners outside. That guy broke in to the Speaker of the House of the United States' home, fully guarded by security cameras. He broke in, even though the only window that was broken was broken out, not in. And he was maybe in his underwear or maybe not. He was going to kidnap Nancy Pelosi, even though he didn't have a car. Paul Pelosi called 911, said the guy was a friend. Paul Pelosi opened the door for the police officers and then walked back toward David DePape. But you can't question it or else you support political violence. And of course, the news always tells you who to blame for these things and which part of their political agenda 
should be pushed forward in order to make this terrible event never, ever happen again. We're going to solve all the events like this. If you just give us more power and relinquish more of your rights, we're going to make the bad things stop forever. In fact, if you get all the way there, we're going to do you the favor of saving the earth from the sun. They are so powerful and their policies always work. If only people would listen and empower them. If people won't listen and empower them, well, these terrible, terrible events are just going to keep happening until the people finally do. But that's not why these events are happening. These events are happening because you haven't yet given them power. It's like you don't even want these events to stop happening. Just give them all the power and then these events will stop. It's like they're saying, hey, we can control the occurrence of these events. If these events bother you, just give us more power and then we'll finally stop them. We don't have enough power yet, you see. And sure, we have told you for decades that if you gave us power, we would stop this stuff. And we have had power for decades and this stuff hasn't stopped. But the problem is we need more power. You see, the no-no people still have too much power. The no-no people need to have no power at all. In fact, if we eliminated them, that would be the best thing because then we would have all the power and then we could just prevent this stuff from ever, ever happening again for real. So I understand that we can't just fully eliminate the no-no people, not in one day at least, because then everybody would know that that's what we were doing. So we're going to eliminate them slowly over time. And while we're eliminating them, because we can't fully do it all at once, we're going to strip them of all their rights and any ability to stand up for those rights. And hopefully that will make you guys all happy until we can finally eliminate them completely. And once we eliminate them completely, oh, wow, that is going to be utopia. All we have to do is eliminate all of the people who don't agree with us about everything. And I know that sounds harsh, but this isn't a hate movement. This is what we need to do to reach utopia. And hey, maybe it sounds counterintuitive. I understand. It does sound counterintuitive that the way we reach utopia is by eliminating all the people who might ever think to disagree with us. But the good news is we have studies to show that we're right. The best move is to eliminate all the no-no people, not because we hate them, just because we love us so much. Now, I understand that these are very sensitive topics. You don't want to say something wrong because you don't want people to think you're a jerk. And you know who knows this? The propagandists and the people who control the propagandists. They understand that people don't want to spend their day getting attacked for arguing with the official story, particularly when the incentive and punishment structure is ratcheted up like this so that the moral and emotional toll of disputing the central narrative is right out in the open. Everyone can see it. Hey, if you say this stuff, you're going to get in big, big trouble. And for a lot of people, that's enough. They'll shut up. They'll be like, oh, well, you know, someone else can figure this out. And if they do, maybe I'll agree with them then. But in the meantime, I'm going to stay silent and just let the false story seep into the collective consciousness to the point where it will never be reversed, 
even in the presence of overwhelming evidence that the official story was wrong, as the official story always is. Think of an official story that has actually stuck around and proven true. Russiagate? No. The P-tape? No. Actually, this morning, the journalist Kyle Becker posted a graphic on Twitter, a list of fake news stories, and Elon Musk actually responded to it. So that's kind of nice because it'll put a lot of new eyes on this. I'm not sure if Kyle Becker compiled this list himself. I think that I have seen this around a couple of times over the past few weeks, but it says, how many recent mainstream media hoaxes did you fall for? Here's the list. I'm just going to go through it quickly. Russian collusion. Trump called neo-Nazis fine people. Jussie Smollett. Bubba Wallace garage pull. Covington kids. Governor Whitmer kidnapping plot. Kavanaugh rape. Trump P-tape. COVID lab leak was a conspiracy theory. Border agents whipped migrants. Trump saved nuclear secrets at Mar-a-Lago. Steele dossier. Russian bounties on U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan. Trump said drinking bleach would fight COVID. Muslim travel ban. Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation. Andrew Cuomo, best COVID leadership. Trump built cages for migrant kids. Austere religious scholar. And if I'm not mistaken, that's referring to al-Baghdadi. Trump overfed koi fish in Japan. Build Back Better will pay for itself. Trump tax cuts benefited only the rich. Cloth masks prevent COVID. If you get vaccinated, you won't catch COVID. SUV killed parade marchers. And that's referring to Daryl Brooks running his car through the Waukesha Christmas parade last year. The media tried to make it seem like the SUV just did it on its own. Trump used tear gas to clear a crowd for a Bible photo. Don't say gay was in a bill. Putin price hike. Ivermectin is a horse dewormer and not for humans. Mostly peaceful protests. Trump overpowered Secret Service for Wheel of the Beast. Officer Sicknick was murdered by protesters. January 6th was an insurrection. Trump mocked a reporter's disability. BYU students hurled racist insults at Duke volleyball player. You could just keep going on and on and on with this list. That's like 30 fake news stories that got long news cycles. And if you find someone who is still wearing a mask outside or in their car or has a Ukraine flag emoji in their Twitter profile, you can be sure that that person still believes all of these stories as they were first told. And again, you're not allowed to question them or else you're a conspiracy theorist. You especially can't question them when the stories first come out. Then you're one of those crazy conspiracy theorists. If you say it two years later after the mainstream media already admits that it's true, you're just a normal conspiracy theorist because now you're believing that original conspiracy theory. You didn't make it up, but you're still susceptible to believing it. And you probably honestly become even more susceptible to believing it after the mainstream media admits that it's true. The way to know that you're a smart and responsible consumer of information is that you believe the original official story, even though the very sources that propagated the official story have told you that the official story isn't true. And they've already done that with all of these stories, plus Paul Pelosi hammer time. 
Now, we had another false flag last week that you weren't allowed to argue with, but that thing fell apart in a couple of hours. So then it became very safe to argue with it. And now it is totally safe. I'm going to get to this a little later, but I'm talking about, of course, the Russian missile attack on Poland that could have triggered Article 5 of NATO and brought all the NATO countries into a kinetic hot war with Russia on behalf of Ukraine, of course. The Ukraine flag emoji people were all out there telling us that we needed to act immediately. This is a direct strike against a NATO ally. Well, if that's true, then it was by Ukraine. So NATO should go take out Ukraine. Is that what you're saying, Ukraine flag emoji people? Because if it is, your terms are acceptable. But you're not allowed to say that because if you say that, that means you don't care about the lives of innocent Ukrainians that are being lost during Putin's illegal invasion of Ukraine. Oh, they're sovereign borders. So let's think about how we were introduced to the Colorado nightclub shooting over the weekend. Well, we get the story immediately and they begin to start filling in details. And invariably, over time, some of those details will shift and they'll say, well, the story was in motion and we got a few things wrong, but now we have corrected the record. We have updated our stories and now the stories are perfect until we update them again. But for now, this is the best we can do. And if it's the best we can do, then it's the best anyone can do. And so this is the set of details that we're going to call facts. And these are the facts on which we're going to extract meaning. We're going to understand what this story is, what it means, why it happened and whose fault it is, because it can't just be the fault of some deranged gunman. We're going to have to examine his ideology and figure out exactly what parts of his ideology would lead him to do something like this. And we're only going to talk about the pieces of his ideology that we can attribute to the no-no people, to all of our political enemies. And as soon as we do that, all the facts of the story are off the table. The facts no longer matter. All that matters is the meaning. We are going to push the meaning out there. If you dispute the meaning at all, we have a system of punishments, moral and emotional, that will be exacted upon you by our culture. And if we do it well enough, you will be punished by your family, your friends, your coworkers, anyone who comes in contact with you as you dissent from the official story. So what did we get? We got this is an attack on the trans day of remembrance, a holiday they literally just made up that I don't think anyone actually heard of before this year. And of course, we have to remember trans people. We have to remember the death of trans people. Trans people die because of bigotry, we're told. And if you talk about the trans issue at all in a way that the woke communists don't like, then you are now a bigot. So all of this is your fault. And you can't talk about grooming either. You can't talk about how people don't really like pedophiles very much. You're supposed to try to simply understand pedophiles as a different sexual orientation. We're not going to call them pedophiles anymore. We're going to call them minor attracted persons. 
You can't talk about how ridiculous it is to identify as a cat or as a gender you just made up. None of that matters. You got to go with the main story. You can't talk about how teachers are convincing small children that they are a gender other than the one their biological sex necessitates. We can't talk about how they are stocking school libraries with pornographic material to be seen by kids. We can't talk about adult teachers sharing their own sex lives with small children in the classroom. We can't talk about any of that because if you discuss any of that, then someone might go in to a gay bar and start killing people. And you don't want that on your conscience. If you don't want that on your conscience, you're going to have to let us do and say absolutely whatever we want, no matter how depraved, no matter how nonsensical you have to allow it or you're the bad guy. So I'm watching the story develop. And obviously, of course, we find out that this person is known to law enforcement and has a history of violent tendencies. Now, it's entirely possible that this person is just a patsy. And I don't want to skip over that part, but let's just assume for now that they got that part of the official story right and just leave it alone. Save that for another day. And let's assume that the part of the story about the victims and who they are in their past is also true and just leave it over to the side. Again, there's no reason to believe any part of the official story when they are already caught lying about various parts of the story and they are already taking the meaning out from this changeable set of facts and immediately turning it to their political advantage. But nonetheless, let's just leave all that aside and we're going to focus on a different part of this story. And the part of this story I want to focus on is the part that the media has spent the last 24 hours focused on. And that's the hero story about a man named Richard M. Fierro, who has been credited with taking down the shooter. Now, immediately yesterday, by the middle of the day, Richard M. Fierro had already sat down for a fairly artistic photo shoot in his garage and his photos appeared in an article by the New York Times. They were immediately on the scene to do a full profile of America's latest hero. He is like Michael Fanon, but even braver. And he was all over the TV yesterday. He made his rounds to tell his story over and over again. The New York Times profile wasn't enough. There's a lot of child brain communists out there who simply do not read. So what they need is the visual. They need the reality show aspect of it. They need to feel like if they were in a room with Richard M. Fierro, they would immediately be best friends. So this is Fierro appearing on CNN yesterday. And keep in mind, as you listen to him, that the entire time he's not looking into the camera at all. He is just looking up to the left and right, looking around the room, trying to recall all the details of this super traumatizing event that happened just a mere 36 hours ago. But let's give this a listen because we got to have Richard M. Fierro on the record. 
could not even have been a window left. But I saw a lot of people, and this guy was there, and I saw the ACU pattern uh, flag pets. And for me, that was like, there's a handle. I'm getting it. So I ran across the room, grabbed the handle, pulled him down, and then started to uh, – well, actually, I think I went for his gun with him. His rifle flew in front of him, um, and the young man that tried to jump in there with me, um, he, he, we both either pulled him down or whatever, but he ended up at his head uh, and right next to the AR. And then with the AR, he, we, I told him, push the AR, get the AR away from him. The kid pushed the AR. I, I don't know what his name was. Um, and then I, I proceeded to take his other weapon, the pistol, and then just start hitting him at where I could, but the armor's in the way. And I just started, I found a crease in his, between his, his armor and his head, and I just started wailing away uh, with his gun. Um, and then I told the kid in front of me, kick him, keep kicking him. And we were, I was, yeah, I was guiding him. I was telling people, call 911, call 911. I brought him down. I, I, <laughs> I was in mode. I was, I was doing what I did. I do downrange, you know, I train, I trained for this. I don't want to ever do this. I, I didn't even retire because I was just, I was done doing this stuff. It was too much. And, uh, I, I'm, you know, it came in handy and, and I got to protect my, my kid. I lost my kid's boyfriend. I tried, I tried to have everybody in there. I still feel bad that there's five people are, there's five people that didn't go home and this this guy I told him while I was eating him I said I'm going to kill you man because you tried to kill my friends my family was in there my little girl was in there with her we are so sorry for the loss that you and your family have gone through so there it is now Am I calling Richard M. Fierro a liar? I don't know. I just know that that story's not very consistent with itself or with the articles written about Richard M. Fierro based on what Richard M. Fierro claims to have done at the nightclub. But Richard M. Fierro is not my focus, though maybe he will be someday as we find out more information. Richard M. Fierro is, however, the media's focus. And if the media is going to push this guy to the front, then someone has to examine these elements of the story because the official story is flimsy at best. And it certainly does not support the political narrative. They're attempting to push forward with the narrative about this story. They're trying to blame it on everyone from all Republicans to all MAGA people to everybody who's ever called out groomers to Congresswoman Lauren Boebert in Colorado, whose recent election is supposedly up for an automatic recount, even though her opponent has already conceded. Why would you, by the way, as a Democrat, concede a race that is going to automatic recount before the automatic recount? Why would you do that? It's strange, isn't it? Especially when you are Adam Frisch and have a history of corruption in Colorado already that is well documented. Why would someone like that simply concede when the automatic recount is in the offing? Maybe someone did something wrong in the race and you might still win. Just stay in the game, Adam Frisch. It's like you don't even want them to recount. And why wouldn't you want them to recount? 
So Richard M. Fierro isn't the primary focus here, but he is the media's primary focus, and that's what we're going to focus on. And I think it should go without saying that there is absolutely no reason to harass Richard M. Fierro in any way. And I want to be sensitive to the potential that he is actually telling the truth. But the media's portrayal of Richard M. Fierro and some of his own words and actions are worth being skeptical about. So let's see what it is the media has said about Richard M. Fierro. There have been a bunch of news pieces about him, and a lot of them redirect to the New York Times story from yesterday. Now, the New York Times story has been updated multiple times, including just this morning, but they don't tell you what part's been updated or why. So the headline is, Army veteran went into combat mode to disarm the Club Q gunman. This is by Dave Phillips who had not published in the New York Times since October 12th, but now has five articles where he appears in the byline in just the last two days as a result of covering this shooting. Richard M. Fierro was at a table in Club Q with his wife, daughter, and friends on Saturday watching a drag show. When the sudden flash of gunfire ripped across the nightclub and instincts forged during four combat deployments in Iraq and Afghanistan instantly kicked in. Fight back, he told himself. Protect your people. In an interview at his house on Monday where his wife and daughter were still recovering from injuries, Mr. Fierro, 45, who spent 15 years as an army officer and left as a major in 2013, according to military records, described charging through the chaos at the club, tackling the gunman and beating him bloody with the gunman's own gun. I don't know exactly what I did. I just went into combat mode, Mr. Fierro said, shaking his head as he stood in his driveway, an American flag hanging limp in the freezing air. I just know I have to kill this guy before he kills us. And the American flag hanging limp in the freezing air really adds a nice touch, a nice visual as this story develops. A friend of mine this morning I was discussing this with sent me a quote from a man named Tim O'Brien in a piece called Things They Carried. Here's the quote. A true war story is never moral. It does not instruct nor encourage virtue, nor suggest models of proper human behavior, nor restrain men from doing the things men have always done. If a story seems moral, do not believe it. If at the end of a war story you feel uplifted, or if you feel that some small bit of rectitude has been salvaged from the larger waste, then you have been made the victim of a very old and terrible lie. And keep that in mind as we go through this piece. The authorities are holding Anderson Lee Aldrich, 22, on charges of killing five people and say that 18 more people were injured in a rampage at the club that lasted only a few minutes. The death toll could have been much higher, officials said on Sunday, if patrons of the bar had not stopped the gunman. He saved a lot of lives, Mayor John Southers said of Mr. Fierro. The mayor said he had spoken to Mr. Fierro and was struck by his humility. I have never encountered a person who engaged in such heroic actions and was so humble about it. It was supposed to be a chill family night out. The combat veteran and his wife 
Jess, joined their daughter, Cassandra, and her longtime boyfriend, Raymond Green Vance, and two family friends to watch one of his daughter's friends perform a drag act. So the family had a night out at the drag show. And this might sound implausible to people, but I'm not sure that's worth dissecting. Things like this are rather common in liberal enclaves. This sort of thing happens in places like Los Angeles. There were clubs around the city that hosted old school style cabaret shows, and there were occasionally drag queens there. This is not a totally unusual thing. It's a little odd to do it as a family night out, but if the daughter is friends with a drag performer and that's her thing and the family respects her and her wishes to support her friend, that's totally plausible. I don't have any argument with that. And I don't think that's the part of the story to focus on. It was Mr. Fierro's first time at a drag show and he was digging it. He had spent 15 years in the army and now relished his role as a civilian and a father, watching one of his daughter's old high school friends perform. These kids want to live that way, want to have a good time, have at it, he said as he described the night. I'm happy about it because this is what I fought for, so they can do whatever the hell they want. And hey, if that's how he interprets his service in Iraq and Afghanistan, good on him. Not going to argue about that part either. I don't generally have any problem with drag shows. They're weird. It's not my thing. I think it's a strange lifestyle. I wonder about the people's intentions. The drag shows become a problem when you subject children to them because children aren't really equipped to process that. And if you force them to process that before they're equipped to process it, then you are sexualizing children. I still generally believe that consenting adults should do what they like if they're not harming other people. It doesn't mean I can't make a judgment about whether or not I think a given behavior is good or bad in a societal sense. If that behavior is replicated across society and approved of by all society, those are conversations worth having. But by and large, consenting adults should be able to do what they want. And if this is the thing they're into, I don't have to like it. They can still do it. But here's where this story starts to get a little strange and starts to move off into the realm of fiction. Mr. Fierro was trying to get better at going out. In Iraq and Afghanistan, he'd been shot at, seen roadside bombs, shred trucks in his platoon, and lost friends. He was twice awarded the Bronze Star. The wars were both past and still present. There were things he would never forget. For a long time after coming home, crowds put him on edge. He couldn't help to be vigilant. In restaurants, he sat against the wall facing the door. No matter how much he tried to relax, part of him was always ready for an attack, like an itch that could not be scratched. And not being a veteran, I don't know how to take that. I assume that that is an accurate representation of what many vets who have suffered traumatic experiences in their tours of duty feel like when they come home. But let's continue. He was too often distrustful, quick to anger. It had been hell on his wife and daughter. He was working on it. There was medication and there were sessions with a psychologist. He got rid of all the guns in the house. He grew his hair out long and grew a long white goatee to distance himself from his days in uniform. So he was on medication and seeing a psychologist 
I think they probably mean a psychiatrist. But he was also, what, so worried about impulse control that he got rid of all the guns in his house? Or was he just adamantly anti-gun? If it's the impulse control thing, which could be indicated by the fact that he was on medication and seeing a psychiatrist for what he was dealing with as a result of his service, that is a little strange and does suggest a tendency toward violence. He and his wife ran a successful local brewery called Atravita Beer Company, and he had a warm relationship with his daughter and her longtime boyfriend, but he also accepted that war would always be with him. But that night at Club Q, he was not thinking of war at all. The women were dancing. He was joking with his friends. Then the shooting started. Now, wait a second. A drag show doesn't feature women. Now, there might have been women dancing there as well, but drag performers are men dressed as women. And that's even true in the woke construct. Drag isn't the same as trans although it's being conflated in the New York Times. Why doesn't it say the men were dancing? Why doesn't it say the drag performers were dancing? And then you don't have to bring gender into it at all. I'm told that we have to be very specific about gender all the time, but the paper of record is intentionally misgendering the drag queens. That doesn't sound right. It was a staccato of flashes by the front door, the familiar sound of small arms fire. Wow, that's pretty dramatic. Mr. Fierro knew it too well. Without thinking, he hit the floor, pulling his friend down with him. Bullets sprayed across the bar, smashing bottles and glasses. People screamed. Mr. Fierro looked up and saw a figure as big as a bear easily more than 300 pounds, wearing body armor and carrying a rifle, a lot like the one he carried in Iraq. The shooter was moving through the bar toward a door leading to a patio where dozens of people had fled. What in the world is going on with this paragraph? That description may as well have been pulled directly from a movie script. Bullets sprayed across the bar, smashing bottles and glasses. People screamed. Mr. Fierro looked up and saw a figure as big as a bear, easily more than 300 pounds, wearing body armor and carrying a rifle a lot like the one he had carried in Iraq. You got that? So it's an AR that the shooter had, an AR-15. Everybody knows the AR-15 is an automatic rifle. It is a weapon of war. It is an assault weapon. And if you have any question about the official story, concerning what an AR-15 actually is, well, you're just wrong because this veteran knows that that rifle was a lot like the one he had carried in Iraq. And that makes it a weapon of war, just like we've been telling you for the longest time. No one believed us that an AR-15 is a weapon of war. Well, here's the proof right here. It's a lot like the one he carried in Iraq. The long suppressed instincts of a platoon leader surged back to life. He raced across the room, grabbed the gunman by a handle on the back of his body armor, pulled him to the floor and jumped on top of him. 
Was he shooting at the time? Was he about to shoot? I don't know, Mr. Fierro said. I just knew I had to take him down. The two crashed to the floor. The gunman's military-style rifle clattered just out of reach. You got it? Military-style. Just like we've always told you. Mr. Fierro started to go for it, but then saw the gunman come up with a pistol in his other hand. I grabbed the gun out of his hand and just started hitting him in the head over and over, Mr. Fierro said. And you heard him on the video. He was thinking to himself, I'm going to kill this guy. He grabbed his pistol and started smashing him in the head over and over. As he held the man down and slammed the pistol down on his skull, Mr. Fierro started barking orders. He yelled for another club patron using a string of expletives to grab the rifle, then told the patron to start kicking the gunman in the face. So he's brought this 300 pound bear in body armor down to the ground, disarmed him of his pistol, started smashing him in the head with the pistol. And while he's doing that, he calls out to another bar patron using a string of expletives, I guess. Why didn't they use the direct quote? I mean, it must have been Fierro that gave them the direct quote, right? And he says to this patron, begin kicking this man in the face. I've got this guy held down. I'm smashing him with the gun. You come over here and kick him in the face on the other side, and then we'll just have both of us kicking and hammering this person in the head. But that's not all. A drag dancer was passing by and Mr. Fierro said he ordered her to stomp the attacker with her high heels. Again, drag performers are men dressed in women's clothing. They're not trans, at least not according to the rule book. I'm just trying to go by the rule book. Why is the New York Times misgendering the drag performers on purpose? This should say a drag dancer was passing by and Mr. Fierro said he ordered him to stomp the attacker with his high heels. The whole time, Mr. Fierro said, he kept pummeling the shooter with the pistol while screaming obscenities. So he takes down the 300 pound man to the ground in body armor by the body armor. He pulls him down from a handle on the body armor, gets him down to the ground, gets on top of him, disarms his pistol, takes the pistol and starts smashing the shooter in the head, finds a bar patron, yells a string of expletives at him and tells him to grab the rifle and then kick the shooter in the head while he's smashing the shooter in the head with a gun. And then a drag performer is walking by. Mr. Fierro notices the drag performer and says, hey, drag performer, please stomp this shooter that I'm smashing in the head and that this guy is kicking in the face. Please stomp the shooter with your heels. And because everybody immediately must have known that Mr. Fierro is a combat veteran, they all listened to him. It's unknown whether they were all screaming obscenities or whether it was still just Mr. Fierro. What allowed him to throw aside all fear and act? He has said he has no idea. Probably those old instincts of war that had burdened him for so long at home suddenly had a place now 
that something like war had come to his hometown. You got that? Something like war. He was basically in war. I mean, the gunman had a weapon of war. And now all of Mr. Fierro's pent up violence that he was seeing a psychiatrist for and medicated for and removed all the guns from his house because of it had now finally found an appropriate outlet in combat. Most of the time, nothing happens, but it's that mad minute, that mad minute. And you are tested in that minute. It becomes habit. He said, I don't know how I got the weapon away from that guy. No idea. I'm just a dude. I'm a fat old vet, but I knew I had to do something. When police arrived a few minutes later, the gunman was no longer struggling. Mr. Fierro said, Mr. Fierro said he feared that he had killed him. Mr. Fierro was covered in blood. He got up and frantically lurched around in the dark looking for his family. He spotted his friends on the floor. One had been shot several times in the chest and arm. Another had been shot in the leg. As more police filed in, Mr. Fierro said he started yelling like he was back in combat. Casualties, casualties, not quoted, just the word twice. Casualties, casualties, written by the New York Times writer. I need a medic here now. Again, not quoted. He yelled to the police that the scene was clear. The shooter was down, but people needed help. He said he took tourniquets from a young police officer and put them on his bleeding friends. He said he tried to speak calmly to them as he worked, telling them they would be okay. He spied his wife and daughter on the edge of the room and was about to go to them when he was tackled. Officers rushing into the chaotic scene had spotted a blood spattered man with a handgun, not knowing if he was a threat. Did he still hold on to the handgun while he was putting tourniquets that he took from a young police officer on his friends who'd been shot? He had a hold of the killer's handgun the whole time while he was putting tourniquets on people after getting them from a cop. And after he did all of that, he was tackled for having that handgun. That's what this article is saying. I'm not making it up, by the way, and I'm not just trying to cast doubt here. That is what this article is saying. Do I have the details wrong? These are not my details. These details are being reported by the paper of record. It is their responsibility to actually get these details right and have them make sense because this doesn't make sense. And it's not just me saying it. The words on the page don't make sense. They put him in handcuffs and locked him in the back of a police car for what seemed like more than an hour. He said he screamed and pleaded to be let go so that he could see his family. Now, if all of this is true, it is actually sad and it is actually emotional. And I can feel for Richard M. Fierro. But the way it's described doesn't lend itself to anyone believing it's actually true. At the very best, this is just terrible reporting. Eventually, he was freed. He went to the hospital with his wife and daughter who only had minor injuries. His friends were there and are still there in much more serious condition. They were all alive. But his daughter's boyfriend was nowhere to be found. In the chaos, they had lost him. They drove back to the club, searching for him. They circled familiar streets, hoping they would find him walking home. But there was nothing. The family got a call late Sunday from his mother. He had died in the shooting. When Mr. Fierro heard, he said, 
he held his daughter and cried. Now, again, I hate to doubt the details of a traumatic incident for this family, especially the family of a brave American veteran. But if you don't want me to doubt the details, why don't you make the details make sense? What is all the dramatic writing for? What is all the fictionalizing and emotionalizing for? These details don't make sense. They just forgot about the boyfriend for the night. Were the police just totally opposed to giving them any answers? This story, as it's being told to us, is crazy. But let's hear the dramatic conclusion. In part, he cried because he knew what lay ahead. The families of the dead, the people who were shot, had now been in war like he had. They would struggle like he and so many of his combat buddies had. They would ache with misplaced vigilance. They would lash out in anger, never be able to scratch the itch of fear, be torn by the longing to forget and the urge to always remember. What? Misplaced vigilance? What is this? Honestly, what is this? I didn't write the story. I'm not inventing a conspiracy. I have no idea what to make of this because the details and the way it's laid out and the meaning it's telling us to draw, none of it makes any sense. And this is the New York Times. This is the paper of record. My little girl, she screamed and I was crying with her, he said. Driving home from the hospital, I told them, look, I've gone through this before and downrange when this happens. You just get out on the next patrol. You need to get it out of your mind. That is how you cured it. You cured it by doing more. Eventually you get home safe. But here I worry there is no next patrol. It is harder to cure. You are already home. Now that's the end of the article. They don't list what the updates are. But they do note that Dave Phillips is a national correspondent covering the military and has been awarded the Pulitzer Prize twice, most recently in 2022, just this year. And look at that. He gets to cover one of the biggest stories of the year for the New York Times. And look how beautifully he told that tale. Now, is there any chance that this tale is untrue or that it was exaggerated or intentionally emotionalized? No, it can't be. Because Dave Phillips has been awarded the Pulitzer Prize twice. And everybody knows that Pulitzer Prize winners tell the truth. I mean, sure, not in the Russiagate thing. And they haven't given back their Pulitzer Prizes, even though their stories have proven completely false. But what do you expect the Pulitzer Prize people to do? They can't very well just start rescinding Pulitzer Prizes simply because the stories aren't true. If they start doing that, well, people might begin to realize that Pulitzer Prizes don't actually mean anything. And they're just rewards from the regime for writing the things the regime wants you to write. Dave Phillips' latest book is Alpha, Eddie Gallagher and the War for the Soul of the Navy Seals. And I am sure it is absolutely beautifully written. But unfortunately, I have absolutely no reason to believe it is factually true at all. Again, I don't know the details of the Club Q shooting event because the details, as they've been relayed so far, don't make a whole lot of sense. 
Why are they focused on a mostly unsupported political narrative rather than the fact that the shooter was known to law enforcement? Why are they focused on telling this hero story rather than first understanding the events? And why is it that every one of their emotional stories that is immediately co-opted for a political agenda always seems to have the very same holes that all of these other stories have? Richard Fierro could actually be telling the truth about the entire thing, although he doesn't seem to be. But let's assume he is. The New York Times is still not telling the truth, and they're not accurately relaying the details. They didn't for the Uvalde shooting either. They didn't for the Buffalo shooting. They didn't for that anti-Asian American hate crime thing last year where we were told there was all this anti-Asian hate out in our society because a guy went around on a killing spree at massage parlors, but it turned out it had nothing to do with anyone being Asian. The George Floyd story wasn't true on countless levels. George Floyd died from a fentanyl overdose. The Breonna Taylor story wasn't true at all. Breonna Taylor wasn't sleeping in her bed. The police didn't execute a no-knock warrant and go shoot her in her bed. The Jacob Blake story wasn't true. Jacob Blake was carrying a knife and had just attempted to sexually assault his ex-girlfriend because he thought she was cheating on him, which doesn't make any sense. Why do all of these stories prove to be fake? And why are all of them explicitly directed toward a political agenda when the facts and the details of the incident don't support that? Why does this keep happening? And the obvious answer, of course, is because these are false flag events. Again, it doesn't matter whether or not the underlying incident is true. And when there are actual victims, when there are people harmed by these events, it's still perfectly acceptable to be sad and express sympathy for these people and their families. But we can also be adults here and we can also express skepticism, particularly about the media and the politicians exploiting these events for their own political gain and for the advancement of their agendas. And if we're unwilling to look at those things because of the emotional incentive and punishment structure that comes equipped in these stories, then we are allowing the regime to continue perpetuating false flag events for their own benefit and allowing them to continue with impunity. And this is why, by the way, that the Alex Jones decision a few weeks ago was so preposterously disproportionate in terms of the financial reward to the people who sued him. It is a sum of money that Alex Jones could never hope to earn for his entire life. They're basically just saying, hey, Alex, we own you now. You shouldn't have said those things. And it's big enough so that the whole country hears about the story. And they say, oh, wow, it sure does cost a lot to dissent from the official narrative. And if no one does it because they're scared of all that, well, then the official story is just spread unabated. Everybody simply has to agree that the official story is true and spread it or they can get in very big trouble. And of course, at the intellectual kids table on Twitter, those are the rules of the game. We stay at the kids table. There are things we can't say. 
We know we'll get in trouble if we say them. So we're only going to talk about this limited range of subjects. And we're going to express a limited range of opinions because we don't want to get in trouble. There is a way to get past this without going after the individuals and and while trying to remain at least somewhat sensitive to the potential reality of the events. And we have to be able to parse this or there is no way to move forward past the widespread psychological and emotional and cultural impact of these continued repeated false flag events. You don't have to deny the shooting. You don't have to deny the shooter. You don't have to deny the shooter's motivation. You don't have to deny Richard M. Fierro's actions or his story about those actions to understand that something is very wrong here. And at least on some level, we are being lied to once again by the media and manipulated by the culture. Why was the shooter known to law enforcement? Why was Richard M. Fierro kept in a police car for over an hour? What made the police then release him? What did the police think he did? Did they think he was the shooter, as this article implies but does not say? And if they thought that, why were they giving him tourniquets to help people if he still had a gun in his hand? Are they just going by what Mr. Fierro said? You heard some of what he said in his own voice, his own recounting of the situation. Or is the New York Times embellishing? Are they reframing things so that Mr. Fierro's actions fit the story they want to tell? And what will become of this? How many days until Richard M. Fierro gets a book deal to tell this story? Or a film production company purchases the rights to his story? How many days will he stay on the television? How many days will this story stay front and center in the media? Are they going to use this story to push through their new Defense of Gay Marriage Act so they can finally make cake shop owners bake wedding cakes for gay weddings? Are they going to push an assault weapons ban? Of course they are. Are they going to push to disarm all Americans? Of course they are. Are they going to use this to say that Republicans and Christians are hateful people. Of course they are. Now, I understand when I do episodes like this and when I say things like this, that I'm wading into dangerous waters. And if I err in some way, I apologize. If one of these stories turns out to be true and I have doubted it too much, I am more than happy to account for that and admit it and apologize if necessary. But all the same, I think somebody needs to be doing this. Somebody has to call this stuff out. Otherwise, it just keeps happening. We are not being told the truth. It's a matter of figuring out which way we're not being told the truth. It's not fun to just put your neck out there at the beginning of the Russia and Ukraine incident and say, hey, guys, this whole thing's a lie. But I did it. And many of you did it. And we were all right at that point. And as we follow along with these stories and the details come out and we show, hey, still right, still right, still right, still right. As time moves on, more details come out. If the original thesis continues to be right, as more details come out and the official story keeps changing over time again and again and again, 
You should understand that the official story was always wrong. And those of us initially dissenting were always right. There are countless examples of this over the past few years. And the cycle is closing in on itself. And that's very good. We're now able to recognize these things almost immediately and stop the story in its tracks. That happened with the FBI shooter. You'll remember after the Mar-a-Lago raid, the FBI shooter, a guy attacked an FBI field office in Ohio with a nail gun. That's what we were told. And then there was a car chase and the guy was killed and he was, oh, so MAGA. He had just gotten on Truth Social just days or maybe a couple of weeks before. Oh, it's all MAGA extremists. They're going crazy because of the Mar-a-Lago raid. Now they're going to go attack federal law enforcement. That's what we were told. That story vanished in like five hours. Paul Pelosi hammer time. Massive story. Story that big with that much emotional incentive and punishment attached to it. Well, that's going to take a little longer to get rid of. But poof, it's gone. A couple of weeks, gone. By the end of that weekend, no one really believed it. But now it's all gone. And it's not easy to stick your neck out there and say, hey, this is false because you know you're going to get punished. People are going to say you're a conspiracy theorist. You're not being responsible. We need to wait for all the facts to come in. Well, yeah, I would love to wait for all the facts to come in. You guys start. You start by waiting for all the facts to come in and just don't give us a story until they do. And then I, too, will wait for all the facts to come in. But if you're not going to do it, if you're not going to be responsible, if you're not going to wait till all the facts come in to be sure you're actually getting the story right, then I certainly don't have to wait any time at all to begin picking your stories apart and showing people why they're wrong and why they're dishonest. And sometimes this matters in a world changing way. And we saw one of those examples just last week. November 15th, one week ago from today, we were told during the day that the Russians had attacked Poland. Now, it wasn't intentional. They tried to hit Ukraine near the border, but whoops, the missiles went the wrong way and they ended up killing two Polish people inside Poland's border with Ukraine. We were told it would trigger Article 5 of NATO for weeks, months. We've been hearing about the potential for a Russian nuclear attack that would require a Western nuclear response. We heard about the Nord Stream pipeline bombing. They tried to convince us that that was Russia. No one really believed it. Wasn't Russia. They bombed the Crimean Bridge. And since no one would ever believe that Russia committed that act of terrorism, they just simply applauded the destruction and went on warmongering, went on pushing for a potential nuclear event. It's like they want it more than anything. It makes them giddy just to think about it. And of course, that was the immediate response last week as soon as we heard the story about Russian missiles in Poland. This is from last night in the Daily Beast. AP fires reporter behind retracted Russian missiles story. The Associated Press scared much of the world last Tuesday when it alerted readers that, quote, a senior U.S. intelligence official, end quote, said, quote, Russian missiles crossed into NATO member Poland, killing two people. That report, which was widely cited across the Internet and on cable news, was taken offline the following day and replaced with an editor's note admitting the single source was wrong and that, quote, 
Subsequent reporting showed that the missiles were Russian made and most likely fired by Ukraine in defense against a Russian attack. Of course, that's not true either. That's why they say most likely because fine, it's not Russia, but they were Russian made and they were fired. Yeah, fine. They were fired by Ukraine, but they would have never been fired if not for Vladimir Putin's illegal invasion into Ukraine's sovereign borders. And if you don't agree, well, then you hate innocent Ukrainians. On Monday, the AP fired James Laporta, the investigative reporter responsible for that story. Confider has learned the piece, which was originally co-bylined with John Lester, who is still working at the AP attributed the information to a single senior U.S. intelligence official, despite the AP's rule that, quote, it routinely seeks and requires more than one source when sourcing is anonymous. And they take this very seriously. You have to have two anonymous sources or four anonymous sources or 17 anonymous sources. You just get more than one anonymous source. That's the point. You can't only have one anonymous source. These are the sorts of standards that guarantee accuracy in journalism. The only exception, according to its statement of news values and principles, is when, quote, material comes from an authoritative figure who provides information so detailed that there is no question of its accuracy. A situation that seemingly did not occur as the report was fully retracted last Wednesday. When reached for comment, an AP spokesperson did not comment on Laporta's ouster, but instead wrote, the rigorous editorial standards and practices of the Associated Press are critical to AP's mission as an independent news organization to ensure our reporting is accurate, fair and fact based. We abide by and enforce these standards, including around the use of anonymous sources. And it's important to remember that the AP never gets any stories wrong. That's why we look to them to decide who's won elections. Remember how that is exactly what we do and how the TV always says the Associated Press has determined that Katie Hobbs has won the governorship of Arizona. And that's very, very authoritative. And it's never, ever wrong. They don't even need two anonymous sources. They don't even need one anonymous source because they're looked at as the official organization who decides these things. That's why it's extra important that when they are using anonymous sources, they have at least two of them so that their accuracy and reliability and integrity can never be called into doubt. Laporta, a former Daily Beast contributor, declined to comment. His firing comes nearly a decade after the Newswire fired reporter Bob Lewis over an erroneous report alleging then Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe lied to a federal investigator. That report, published in October 2013, was retracted two hours after it went up. Two editors were also fired for the mistake, including Lewis's direct editor and the editor to whom he filed the flawed story. And it's a good thing they retracted all that and corrected the record because everybody knows there's no way in the world that Terry McAuliffe would ever lie to a federal investigator. It's so silly. Like if he did, he would have totally been prosecuted for it and totally punished for it. And he would not have been 
the Democratic nominee for governor again in Virginia just last year. That's crazy. It's unclear who edited Laporta's reporting in question or whether they faced any discipline for the error. So you got it. The entire thing, the entire incident that brought the world to the brink of World War Three, a kinetic hot war with Russia. The entire thing was all the fault of one reporter because he didn't verify with another anonymous source that what one anonymous source said was true. Now, it's definitely not the fault of the senior intelligence official in America who gave Laporta this story. It's not that person's fault. Why would you even look back that far when you know that Laporta didn't live up to the AP's rigorous standards of getting two anonymous officials? When it's two anonymous officials, nothing is ever wrong. Now, sure, things go wrong with anonymous officials all the time, no matter how many of them there are confirming the story, but that's just life in the news in 2022. What do you expect people to actually put their names to the things they say? You can't do that as an intelligence official. You can't compromise sources and methods. And if a journalist did it, well, that would just be against all of journalistic ethics. You just have to take their word and leave their name out of it. One anonymous intelligence official or former intelligence official has told us this thing that could absolutely start World War III. And the only responsible way to handle this is by reporting it to the entire world. Now, sure, 51 former intelligence officials did put their name to a document saying that Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation. But I mean, who knew at the time, right? Who knew at the time we were in the run up to an election? It seemed like the sort of October surprise Russia would just go and create. And yeah, 51 former intelligence officials put their name to it. And it turned out to be wrong. So 51 former intelligence officials were all wrong at the same time, but at least they put their name to it. At least it wasn't 51 anonymous former intelligence officials. I guess we got that going for us, right? But the point is that intelligence officials are not wrong. And, you know, sometimes they are wrong, but the point is that they have to be trusted right away, even if it means that World War Three is online. But sometimes these sorts of problems happen. And when these problems happen, it is most important to make sure that the journalist who reprinted what the anonymous intelligence official said is fired and everyone directs responsibility exactly to that person and not to the senior intelligence official whose name remains anonymous. Now, there's only one more problem with this that hasn't been addressed and that's that the comedic actor in Ukraine, the puppet president of Ukraine, who was installed by the global communist regime, obviously the same people that overthrew Ukraine in 2014, that comedic actor, he went out and told the world on video that Russia had attacked Poland and that everybody needed to immediately respond. So the question is, did the comedic actor in Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, the man who was installed by the regime, did he read the AP story and think, oh, wow, the AP 
has talked to one anonymous intelligence official. And that guy attributes this attack to Russia. Therefore, I need to get really frantic on video and ask the world to start World War III immediately without waiting. It has to happen now. Is that what happened with the comedic actor? Does the comedic actor not have access to real intelligence separate from the media? I mean, we know that British intelligence is operating in Ukraine and American intelligence is operating in Ukraine. So that means Five Eyes intelligence is operating in Ukraine. We know that British and American intelligence are giving operational intelligence to the Ukrainians, telling them where to attack telling them about Russian positions. They're also supplying Ukraine with all of the funding and the arms for their continued battle against this Russian invasion. And they are not supposed to go to the negotiating table, no matter what, as American and British intelligence continue to enact their own agenda with their own set of priorities in Ukraine at the risk of innocent Ukrainian lives. And we know also from way back at the beginning of the whole thing, that Joe Biden actually turned all of that intelligence over to Xi Jinping, who then handed it to the Russians. But, you know, these sorts of mistakes happen, especially with a fake president who is an 80 year old demented pervert. But the thing is, on that very day, Volodymyr Zelensky didn't have any access to any of that intelligence. He had to go by what he knew and what he knew was that the AP, the Associated Press, the global paper of record with extremely strict editorial standards said that there was one intelligence official in the world who attributed the attack to Russia. And the only solution was to immediately start World War Three. The president, in quotes, of Ukraine Put that message out to the world. And we are supposed to believe that he did that on the basis of the Associated Press story and not the other way around. The media just tried to false flag us into a nuclear World War III and to evade responsibility for that event and for the intelligence community to evade responsibility for that event. They are firing a single reporter at AP, even though there were two people on the byline because he didn't confirm it with a second anonymous source. And that is what we are supposed to believe. That is what the regime is telling us to believe. That is the state of our media right now. They just tried to false flag us into nuclear World War Three, but we are supposed to believe each and every detail of this brand new hero story about this Colorado nightclub shooting, because to question it comes with a punishment structure already in place. And that punishment is meant to be doled out by your friends, your family, your coworkers, and your culture at large. You are not allowed to question it, not at all, or you will be cast out. It is great to be sensitive. It is great to be sympathetic. It is great to wait till all the facts come in. But it is not great to just accept whatever we're told by the mainstream media when we know they lie to us all the time about everything. They have no shame. They have no morality. They have no principles. They have no standards. They have no integrity. There is no reason to believe these people at all. Not about any of the details. If they don't want us to dispute this stuff, 
if they don't want us to get into this sensitive territory, then they should start telling the truth. Because until then, we have absolutely no reason to believe them. And the truth is that their dishonesty is extremely dangerous. The stories with all the emotionalizing, all the moral consequences and the political blame, the toughest stories to go after, these are the ones we have to question the most. And this is an unfortunate consequence of being told stories by people who lie all the time and do so intentionally to increase the power of the people who are already the most powerful people in the world. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash imyourmoderator. And I'll see you soon, out on the range. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!